Hello and welcome to Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tapeheads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from Lindsay's collection or my collection. We watch it, then we have a little chat about it. Uh, for this episode, I picked one of, I guess, sort of my favorites. It's definitely a movie that I like to revisit every summer. It is the... It, Wait, what? <laughs> no, I'm just laughing because you love John Cusack so much. <laughs> I I do love John Cusack very much, particularly movies from this era. This is the pseudo-sequel to the beloved Savage Steve Holland movie Better Off Dead. Which I have not seen. Which he has not seen. I thought it would be interesting to sort of use Lindsay as my guinea pig in this little <laughs> experiment and show her this movie, One Crazy Summer, first. Now, Better Off Dead and One Crazy Summer have a lot of similarities. They're from 85 and 86, respectively. They both are written and directed by Savage Steve Holland. They both star John Cusack as a lovable loser who is an aspiring cartoonist. Um, Oh, he's an aspiring cartoonist in both? Yes, and they both have kind of wacky side characters, very surreal trappings, a lot of ridiculous sight gags and that sort of thing going on. Better Off Dead is set in the winter and they're in high school, whereas One Crazy Summer, they've just graduated from high school and it's in the summer. It really sounds like a sequel, except that they renamed all of the characters. There are differences, and I think we'll get into them on this uh, podcast. I actually know Better Off Dead much better. That's the one that people probably quote and love more. It, they're both interesting movies just because in a lot of ways they have a lot of the tropes from 80s teen comedies. Mm-hmm. You know, the lovable loser choosing between an earthy brunette and a vapid blonde quirky adult figures yeah there's an evil land developer and gangs of rich kids the wacky side characters both movies conclude with a sporting event pitting like a rich asshole against our lovable hero someone gets mixed up with the bad guys yeah there's a lot of zany pranks there's usually some sort of benefit concert But what makes, I think, movies uh, like Better Off Dead and One Crazy Summer different is just this surreal alternate universe that they exist in. And we're talking really surreal. Very, very surreal. Like, he attends generic high school. It's called generic high school. (laughs) The little girl in this uh, who attends generic elementary school, she has a dog in one of those cones where if you ridicule it, she'll get horrible retribution against you. Yeah, we're pretty sure she killed one of the other characters for kicking it. She kills a man (laughs) in a horrible fashion for for, uh, kicking her dog. Every once in a while you see this animated scene with John Cusack animating himself as a rhinoceros. And did that happen in Better Off Dead? Well, Better Off Dead has a lot of different animation things going on. There's like a claymation sequence where like a burger is singing to him. And there's just a lot of surreal stuff going on. And it's kind of anchored by, I don't want to say a generic 80s teen movie, because there's just the weirdness has infiltrated it so much that it can't really be called generic, but Mm -hmm. I feel like that's kind of what sort of grounds it as this, or is like the basic structure of like an 80s teen comedy. Okay. Before we get ahead of ourselves, there was an ad at the beginning of this tape for the 
Much like the 20th Century Fox selections, Warner Brothers is celebrating their 75th anniversary, I guess in 1999, by releasing 350 movies, I guess at a special price. 350 classics that they probably just couldn't sell. First of all, very boldly, they announce the 75th anniversary collection as the biggest event in Hollywood history. No, I don't think so. That might have been Gone with the Wind. So apparently, being able to buy such classics as Twister, Batman Forever, Eraser... The Fugitive. Beetlejuice. Well, that is a classic. Unforgiven. Apparently being able to purchase these VHS tapes for $9.95 is the biggest thing to ever happen in Hollywood history. Or Warner Brothers would lead you to think. Yeah, no, I think they just wanted to sell volume. Seeing this montage makes... (laughs) I just, I'm sorry, I'm just remembering seeing Batman in there. (laughs) Batman Forever, specifically. Specifically, they they show Jim Carrey as the Riddler, right? Yeah, and they show Val Kilmer blasting through the the skylight. Guests of the show, Chad Hines might argue with us on this one. I mean, it could, yeah, it could very well be, but when this came out in 99, like, Batman Forever I don't think was even popular anymore. I mean, Batman and Robin had already kind of torpedoed the Joel Schumacher Batman movies, I feel like. Well, and and it's funny because they had tiny cuts from, like, really classic black and white films with actors that were titans in their era, but then they did longer cuts of Batman Forever and some of these other ones that were definitely not classics. They were just kind of known at the time since they were recent. And Eraser, like, that's kind of one of the lesser-known Arnold Schwarzenegger 90s movies. Yeah, I don't think a lot like, of people have seen that. That's at least one about, that, I don't yeah. know about our generation. That's like, one that I liked when I was a kid because there's... Is that the one with Jamie Lee Curtis? No, that's True Lies. Oh, damn it. I feel okay. like that's one that still has a following, but Eraser, I think, is yeah. best known for a scene where he shoots an alligator <laughs> and says, your luggage. Well, that sounds classic to me. Yeah, that might have to be on the show at some point. But yeah, let's uh, let's jump into One Crazy Summer. Did, well, what were you expecting going into this movie? I expected, because you didn't tell me it was surreal until it started. I had sort of forgotten how surreal yeah. this movie is. I think when I teased it at the end of the last episode, I was thinking of it more along the lines of something like Summer School. Which yeah, that's is... what I thought. I expected Summer School, except with John Cusack, so he'd be kind of like sad and plaintive for part of it. Yeah, like Summer School is zany, but it's very much in our world. Yeah, I mean, it's a little larger than life, and these characters are a little wackier than you'd see in... But, it, it like, you don't have a dog pushing another dog in a wheelchair. Well, they're a... both wearing... One's wearing, like, nurse's scrubs, and the other one's wearing a patient wrap. At the Holistic Animal Hospital and Acupuncture Center. No, I mean, it was just really weird, because I didn't know what to expect of it. I thought it was just going to be a typical 80s teen movie, and then it wasn't at all. Yeah, I guess it's been a few years since I've seen this movie, because I remember it being more about John Cusack and Demi Moore and kind of their romantic relationship. Yeah. But it's not really about that at all. Like, it focuses more on the wacky side characters than John Cusack. Yeah, they don't really develop John Cusack and Demi Moore's characters that much, really. And it's kind of funny, because, like, we were discussing just a few minutes ago, because they established that Demi Moore is somehow involved with a gang. She has money that they think is theirs. It's a biker gang. It's a a biker gang. gang. And she has to hide it, and John Cusack ends up kind of 
of helping her, although he kind of makes it worse, I guess, because yeah. he gives them the money. And He's a real she has no money. bumbler, yeah. But we couldn't figure out how she was connected to this gang at all, why they were after her, and then it was just never addressed again. I mean, and that's one of the big problems with this movie is it's so jam-packed with crazy things happening. I feel like every frame of this movie has, like, weird sight gags in the background and so many different things going on that you kind of lose track of kind of what's a really simple plot. It ends up feeling really jumbled and confusing just because it's so packed with stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I still don't really know the connection to Demi Moore and the Motorcycle Gang. Well, and they've got gags that repeat that don't necessarily need to repeat. Like one, his best friend. George. George Calamari. <laughs> his sister is the one that is upset about her dog and her name is Squid, apparently. Squid Calamari. Squid Calamari. But anyway, George is on the beach and they bury him. He's the one that gets buried, right? Yeah, up to his neck. They bury him up to his neck and then there's a uh, there's a chair that's put over him so he can have some shade and then a ha 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 fat guy sits on the chair and eats beans. Yeah, and eats beans and then he ends up needing to be resuscitated because apparently the man kills him temporarily, stops his breathing. Presumably, I think the from the, the gas from the flatulence. From yes. the, fr from the flatulence. <laughs> so they have to dig him up and then it goes through this argument between the the EMTs who don't want to give him CPR because it's the 80s, so let's have some lighthearted homophobia. Which it's so funny. I didn't read it as that way when I first <laughs> saw it but that is yeah i, I think you're they, right they did the gag again and it was yeah. the same exact thing they didn't want to give him cpr because it's a guy now some of the running gags really work for me like i kind <laughs> of like this weird uncle that's in the back room just so there's this entire character who he's just listening to a radio contest all summer smoking non-stop smoking non-stop with a telephone next to the radio waiting to call into this radio show to win like a million dollars that's his whole character <laughs> and i feel like so that's that's kind of typical of this movie is these characters are just kind of one character trait just kind of pushed to the extreme yeah and it's funny because we just get snippets of him he's not otherwise involved in anything else going in the on in the film i thought it was stanley tucci at first yeah, he, it looks a lot like stanley it looks tucci kind of like him it culminates with him getting the call he's the, he's the caller that wins a million dollars but he's so excited he pulls the phone line out of the wall and he's so upset about it they make it look like he's gonna commit suicide because they show like a firearm on the he, wall he grabs like a bazooka off the but he wall. ends up it turns out it's a bazooka i thought it was just a shotgun that he was gonna kill himself with but <laughs> then he blows up the radio station yeah which i feel like wouldn't be so haha -ha funny now there's a lot of just going postal jokes and like this whole subplot involving like a militia made up of children <laughs> that probably wouldn't fly today. <laughs> I guess we should give sort of a one line, two line uh, synopsis of what this oh, right. movie actually is. Good luck. <laughs> it focuses on John Cusack's character, Hoops McCann. He's just graduated from generic high school and he and his friend George Calamari and the sister Squid Calamari are gonna spend the summer off uh, at their family house in Nantucket. George's family. George's right? family, yes. We don't really see a whole lot of Hoops' family. 
but we we get just a taste of them and understand that they're also kind of weird people. Well, because they give him a tractor for his high they, school graduation. Yeah, there's this shot of just all the different, I guess all the kids getting like, congratulations, you graduated from high school, here's a nice car with your name on it, and it pans to hoops, and they've given him, like, a gigantic yeah. bulldozer. Which I like, the other thing is that he modified his graduate gown and hat, and you couldn't tell that he'd cut up his graduate gown, and I was saying to Sean, wait, they, he, his his tassel is shorter than everyone else's, and you were like, no, it's just pulled back on the hat. <laughs> just the angle. No, he chopped it off. That's... Just like the sleeves and everything else. He was wearing, like, it looked like a cropped gown. It was right at his nipples. It was cropped to like a football shirt that you wear underneath your pads. And like, that was the part of the movie where I was still like insisting on my (laughs) old memory of it as not being this surreal. It's like, no, it's just, it's just, it's normal. But then he stands up and I quickly remember like, oh, this is a really bizarre movie. (laughs) So basically they go to Nantucket. They pick up uh, Cassandra along the way, Demi Moore. Who's kind of this earthy uh, folk singer. Who's slash biker slash chick. Slash biker chick. She doesn't really add a whole lot to the movie on this watch. I mean, she's kind of the most realistic character, which isn't saying much for this movie. I think that's why they don't really give her much attention in, in, in terms of film. Like, everybody that's doing anything is pretty much a guy, unless they're... She has... She does a little bit, but she's not really an a super active person and then like the other women are there for being sexy in their swimsuits pretty much so so they they get to nantucket and we're introduced to all of these crazy characters there's the stork twins which are bobcat goldthwaite doing one of the most annoying voices uh imaginable (laughs) he's one of the stork twins i forget who the other actor is Curtis Armstrong from Better Off Dead plays Ak Ak, who's the son of this general who leads the children's militia, uh, who's really pressuring him to, you know, be more of a military son. But he just sort of wants to be goofy with his friends. But this is a father who orders his son to go out and get shells. And we, we're thinking, oh, just shells off the beach but no we're talking actually like explosive <laughs> shells from ex- from what like bombs? like artillery they're, they're, shells like because yeah. they're doing like military testing on the beach so he's just running around with a helmet on waiting for things to explode so he can run over and grab the shells yeah it doesn't really make a lot of sense because the shell is what's ejected when you fire the artillery it's not what lands yeah that just explodes so why isn't he gathering shells by where they're shooting them from not where they're landing but again you can't really ask these kind of questions in one crazy summer but we quickly learned that Cassandra is trying to save her family, I guess her grandfather's house, from the greedy Beckerstead family. It's three generations of rich assholes. As usual. There's, thanks, you've got mail. There's, a uh, is his name William Hickey? The guy who talks like this and is the, the old man this in, like, every movie. This little old man in the wheelchair? Yeah, he's in Forget Paris and a lot of other things. Yeah. There's the crossbow-wielding father who likes to boil lobsters alive. Well, crossbow-wielding because he likes to shoot toward his son, have his son stand <laughs> behind the tar- the moving target. And then there's his son who's just the typical, like, blonde hair, drives a Ferrari, has the hot girlfriend that John Cusack is kind of trying to win over. 
basically this family, the Beckerstead family, wants to knock over Demi Moore's family home and install another one of their lobster log restaurants. The plot is really just an excuse for a lot of zany pranks, like Bobcat Goldthwaite getting stuck in a Godzilla costume and running amok. Yeah, and he, he runs amok over the display for the Beckerstons' new evil plan to take over the town and change it into their lobster log world, right? It's all just an elaborate setup so that he can smash a tiny town in front of a Japanese businessman. The, the guy playing the businessman is the... What is it? He's the lawyer. He's one of the one of the sort of leads in uh, Big Trouble in Little China. There were like ten Asian character actors that were in everything in the eighties and nineties, yeah. like yeah. James Hong, Victor Wong. Refreshing thing about this one is I don't rem- I don't think he had an accent. I think he just had an American accent, which is unusual for yeah. this time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've mentioned this before, but one thing that really disappointed me on this watch, I it's no secret that I'm a big John Cusack fan. On my bucket list is to direct John Cusack <laughs> in a film someday. You've even written a screenplay for him, right? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Admit nothing. It's it's in development. We're we're in talks <laughs> in my head. But yeah, yeah. So I think it's fair to say John Cusack is probably one of my favorite actors of all time. And this era of movies, like specifically his early career, pretty much say anything and everything before. Even though I'd say High Fidelity is probably my favorite one, which is later. It disappointed me to just kind of see him kind of overshadowed by all these other supporting characters it seems like he doesn't really have a whole lot to do in this movie yeah it doesn't really seem like this movie like he's not really the he's supposed to be the protagonist but he's he ends up not being the only time he's really leading it is during the animated sequences when it's about the rhinoceros and the animated sequences don't really work for me they feel very tacked on to give it sort of like a through line to sort of anchor all this craziness yeah it doesn't quite work i don't I, i feel like you could exclude those and it wouldn't really change the movie that much i agree I mean, we don't really know much about his character other than the fact that he's a cartoonist. He's kind of a loser. He, he gets he gets play with two beautiful women. Yeah, that's true. I mean, because he's John Cusack. <laughs> you kidding me? And uh, I guess also this. I mean, his name is Hoops, and he's really bad at basketball. That's sort of a recurring thing. But of course. It's an 80s teen comedy, so in the end, he's able to get it through the hoop and save the day. Yeah, during the big finale when they uh, are in sort of the regatta, this big boat race. After he's been shamed in a hoops competition the night before, right? (laughs) Yeah. He manages to sink a, a sick basket when it counts, but... Aside from little moments like that, it's it's really kind of the Bobcat Goldthwait show yeah. and sort of the George Calamari show and, oh, look at these crazy characters. And if you were to look at the box art of this VHS tape, the main image is John Cusack lovingly embracing Demi Moore with the tiny characters sort of at the bottom of the box, but it's really about these wacky characters. Yeah, it's a misleading cover because it makes it look like a sweet... rom-com if you look at the cover. Better Off Dead was much better at kind of balancing the main character's kind of journey. Like that was more of a coming of age story. You know, you would enjoy all of the zany characters, but the focus was always on John Cusack. At least in my memory of it, anyway. 
Although you thought this was more like summer school, so maybe you're not remembering <laughs> well, I, mean, that was, I mean, that was part of the reason I wanted to do this one on the show is because I do not know it as well. I, I think I've only seen it once or twice before, and it's just appropriate for the summer season that we're in right now. Didn't you say some of the trivia that you saw for this was that the in the animation there are these rabbits that are trying to just kill his groove all the time, and, ru- you know, it's they're kind of like ruining his life and his love life. And in one of the scenes, the rabbits get blown up, and two of the rabbits look like Siskel and Ebert. Yeah, apparently they did not like Better Off Dead, and Savage Steve Holland was so incensed about this that he turned them into rabbits and killed them at the end of this movie, which is similar to in a connection to Independence Day. Siskel and Ebert, as I mentioned on on that episode, gave two thumbs down to Independence Day. It was a whole big deal. When Roland Emmerich did Godzilla shortly after, there's a Mayor Ebert character and his assistant Gene who are just complete bumbling fools all the way through. Oh, wow. And Ebert's main complaint with that was that he wished that Mayor Ebert had been squished by Godzilla. (laughs) So I think Ebert kind of won that whole feud in my heart. Yeah, it's hard to say a whole lot about this movie, just because I was hoping that there'd be a lot to chew on here, just because it's a kind of movie you wouldn't really see made anymore, but it really is just a lot of zany antics. And it, it is really fun to watch, but there's just not a lot of meat here to chew on. No. Although, I keep thinking back to Squid Calamari and her dog. At the end, because the the, the evil father of the Bickersteads he kicks her dog who's in a cone so you see you know you can understand he's injured plus you know it's a dog don't kick kick a dog and she gets ticked and you know she's gonna get revenge and her revenge is to use a mechanical dolphin that comes out of nowhere (laughs) but it has shark teeth and it eats him in the water while they're having the boat race In the movie's defense, that was established earlier because the Stork twins have a gig doing security for a mutant killer dolphin movie that's shooting on Nantucket. Uh, I missed that part. Now, why exactly that production needs a Godzilla suit, I don't really know. Maybe there's just a costume truck filled with every costume you could ever need in a movie. I miss that part. I feel like you could watch this movie three times and still be catching new details. Yeah, like I was doing a little research on the movie and there's a sight gag that I've missed every single time at the beginning of this movie where apparently Hoops has a cat that has a little cat house with like (laughs) totems dedicated to the kills it's made in the garden, like little heads of mice and things. And that's like such a sight gag I would love to see, but I've never been able to spot it. Bizarre little things like that, because he never comes back, so I'm pretty sure that man is dead. I think Squid killed him. I think it's fair to assume. And then then it cuts over, and you pretty soon see her dog running up with all of his puppies who all have tiny little cones. <laughs> I <laughs> love like, that. that they can't be born like that. <laughs> That's the implication. It's passed down. Acquired Basi- traits. Yeah, basically this is an anti-Darwin manifesto. <laughs> Oh, oh, also of note, uh, we haven't brought this up yet. This is uh, Jeremy Piven, uh, who, of oh, course, yeah. is John Cusack's real-life friend and college roommate. Are they still friends? I don't know if they had a falling out. They were in a lot of movies together. Because John Cusack had a falling out with the director. 
Yes. I don't really know much about it. It just seemed like John Cusack was a bit mad about Better Off Dead because he thought it was too weird and too goofy and it might mess up his career, right? Yeah. And then so going into this... It, I guess Better Off Dead got enough of a good response that he decided to do this again, but they just didn't get along on set, and then they haven't spoken since, supposedly. That's, I mean, I take it with a grain of salt because this is on IMDb. Yeah, I don't know how much they verify these things. But, I mean, you have to understand where John Cusack was in his career at this point. He'd had bit roles in teen movies like Class and Sixteen Candles, and Better Off Dead came out. He was starting to kind of pick up steam. Uh, Stand By Me, he had a small part in. And I think he was really kind of becoming like the next big thing. And I think that he didn't understand just how wild and goofy Better Off Dead was going to be. Yeah. And I, I guess he was worried that it would savage his career, no pun intended. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting to me that he felt that way, but he still decided to do this movie, which this in a lot of doesn't ways... doesn't really make sense. That's why I'm, I'm wondering about this trivia. He later went on to do Say Anything and just blew up after that. But it seemed to me that if you felt this way about Better Off Dead, and I think it overall got good reviews aside from Siskel and Ebert, but if you felt this way, why would you come back and work for the same director again on what's essentially like a sequel to Better Off Dead? Yeah, and I mean, he can read the script. He can see all the quirky stuff that's in it. Unless he was like in some weird two-movie contract. Oh, uh, that's possible. Or, or he wanted to get Jeremy Piven a role in his first major movie. Yeah, J- uh, Jeremy Piven, I think, was up for uh, Ak-Ak. Or maybe George Calamari, but ended up being kind of this minor character. I could see John Cusack being a little peeved at that. One thing we didn't address was another of the Calamaris, George Calamari's grandmother who's hosting them in Nantucket. And she's got like the stereotypical grandmother's place at the time where everything's covered in plastic and like clear plasticky vinyl. Like they have a dust cover over the lampshade. They've got it over, maybe even over the curtains. I'm trying to remember it. It was definitely over the couches and chairs. But what's so weird about her is she's like the bubbly, sweet grandma that just wants to take care of everybody. And then at dinner, she hands John Cusack a check for everyone's <laughs> food as if she's running a restaurant. That's a gag that really works for me. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone... She and kind he, of like turns grandmotherly hospitality on its head. And I, I, he kind of looks at everyone else and they just kind of look the other way like, I'm not paying the bill. At grandmother's house. But they don't treat it as if it's a really weird thing to do. Yeah, and I think that's the key to a lot of these gags kind of working, is they happen and they they just sort of treat them like it's normal. Like, no one ever goes like, whoa, that dog is pushing a cat on a wheelchair. Isn't that crazy? Like, they just kind of let these things slide. Or we put the rear end of a Ferrari in a boat. Yeah, cannibalizing the Ferrari and putting it into the boat is one of the most memorable things for me. That's how they win the race. You or, always have to have your trick. Or there's the scene where John Cusack tumbles down the hill and is mummified by the children's militia. He's as, trying, who, who are doing safety practice, right? Yeah. They're trying to save people. Just saying all these gags out loud makes it sound like the craziest movie ever made, but I think that Better Off Dead is even crazier in a lot of ways. I think one of the things that you said that was a little interesting to me was 
that this isn't just a spoof of teen comedies that the surrealism is kind of original to this time you don't really see spoofs like contemporary spoofs like in the last 10 years doing the same thing yeah i feel like you either have a sincere kind of teen rom-com like i don't know she's all that or something like that or you have she's all that is pretty weird well yeah okay that's a bad example it's not as extreme as this but it is a little bit off the wall okay well then what's a better example like bring it on or yeah bring it on would probably be a better you either have something like that or from the other extreme like a spoof movie like you know date movie epic movie superhero movie what like where it's just all spoofs all the time I feel like this is a very particular mix of, like, it, there is a sincerity there, but it's through this warped prism of Savage Steve Holland. I could see maybe there being, like, a Disney Channel original movie that somehow, maybe isn't this dark, but has sort of shades of spoof craziness. I, sorry, when you said Disney Channel original movie, I just remembered that I was looking at Johnny Tsunami earlier. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, one I can think of something right now on Nickelodeon, uh, The Adventures of Pete and Pete. Did you ever watch that? No. That is a, that's one of a uh, friend of the show, Chad Hines's favorite shows. <laughs> and that had so many sort of surreal things going on, but it still had like a big heart to it. But that's an old show. I can't really think of any, maybe Arrested Development has some of that in it. Some of a this little bit. Yeah. Cause they do and say things that no one would do. Or yeah. Say. But I, don't, I feel like even that doesn't go to the extremes that this does. Not in a live action world. That's the thing. I mean, if you, if you were going to look at like Bob's Burgers or something, one of the animated shows, yeah, you would find this. Maybe that's the best way to describe this, is it's like a live-action cartoon. It actually is a live-action cartoon. That's the best way to describe it. All right, Sean, I think it's about that time. Do you buy it, rent it, or tape over it? I was hoping to come in with a ringing endorsement of this movie (laughs) and say buy it. I think my memories of it are kind of mixed up with summer school and... Better Off Dead, which are two of definitely my favorites of this era. Uh, One Crazy Summer is a rent-it. It it has the potential, but I think there's just too much going on, not enough Cusack, and the central romance doesn't really work. It's really hard for this one because part of me is saying rent it and part of me is saying tape over it. I think it's because it's one of those movies where it just, they're not that concerned with the story or the characters so much as what they're doing on the screen and if they can make you react to it. So I think it's kind of like fun to watch once in a while. This isn't something I'd necessarily return to unless like it's a summer day and we're having a lot of beers and people are over or something. That would be kind of a fun setting for it. It's a good barbecue movie to have on in the background. It's a movie where you don't really have to pay attention. Like you can kind of like come in and out and still enjoy it. Uh, You'll be confused regardless. Yeah. I think I'm feeling a rent it. I think it like it's kind of fun if you like quirky, surreal sort of comedies. So it's definitely suited to that audience. I think I made an error in showing you this before Better Off Dead. I I have I'm open to Better Off Dead. I feel like from what you've said, Better Off Dead is much more fun and it seems much more memorable to you. Yeah, and it's one that people still quote. Yeah, I think it's a little telling that you didn't really remember this movie at all. 
It is sort of in one ear and out the other, whereas Better Off Dead is extremely memorable. Maybe come winter time, yeah. I'll dust off my tape of Better Off Dead and you can compare the two. But yeah, I'm giving a soft rent in. <laughs> Fair enough. So, next episode, we're switching back over to your VHS collection, Lindsay. What have you got in store for us? I think it's about time to watch Fern Gully. Ooh. You know, given a global warming, environmental crisis, all of that stuff, this is a this is a timely movie. And the reemergence of Christian Slater as a uh, relevant pop culture fixture, thanks to Mr. Robot. I did not remember that he was in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he is, and he is wonderful. Okay. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his theme song, Mandatory Groove. You can find more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. And uh, if you want to know more about Tapeheads or uh, listen to more of our episodes, you can either go to our website, tapeheadspodcast.com, or check us out on iTunes. We'd love to hear some feedback. Please rate and review. And then if you have any questions, you can email us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. And if you go to tapeheadspodcast.com, we finally got around to taking some pictures for that tape section. Uh, it's something we've talked about doing a long time. A lot of uh, our listeners have mentioned that they'd like to see the box art. And so now we have a gallery up so you can see each of our tapes. Well, not 100% are up yet. Well, probably by the time people are listening to this. Oh, yeah, good they'll point. They'll be up. All right. We're all working right. on it, folks. We'll get to see John Cusack lovingly hold Demi Moore. That'll definitely be up. So that's it for Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time. <laughs>